Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Kieran Kaur. Kieran is the Global Head of Aviation Finance with Standard Chartered. He's joining us for the purposes of our Aviation Leaders Report. I should say we're recording this in early December. Kieran, thanks as always for joining us. Great to get your insights. Um, before we get into the meat of the conversation, do you want to tell our watchers a little bit about Standard Chartered and their place in the aviation world? Absolutely. Good morning, Joe, and thanks for the invitation uh, this morning. Um, you're probably aware we have a pretty broad participation in the aviation sector. Um, and that ranges from operating lease, where we have a fleet of just over 120 owned and managed aircraft, all commercial passenger aircraft, on lease, on operating lease to airlines globally. In addition to that, we have a secure debt portfolio of just over 110 aircraft, an array of different structures, mainly senior debt, lots of different currencies lending into different structures and that's booked all around the world. Um, we also have quite a broad financial markets offering so we're quite active in providing risk management solutions to airlines with respect to FX hedging, rates, interest rate, commodities. Um, and then we're also a pretty active participant in transaction banking providing cash management services to airlines. So Kieran, a huge breadth of activity there. So you'd be very, very suited to give us a, a wide angle lens on how you've seen the recovery progress through 2022 and maybe just given a bit of commentary around the various geographies in which you operate. Absolutely. So look, we have seen quite a bit of regional variation, strong recovery as travel restrictions ease. It's been led by the West, so we've seen a greater acceleration and pent-up demand for traffic and recovery in traffic, particularly in the Americas and Europe. And we're see seeing that starting to spread into um, particularly the ASEAN region. Um, Northeast Asia, we are seeing recovery in domestic markets, but again, it's very dependent on the easing of travel restrictions in China to see full recovery in that market. And from an opportunities perspective, as you're looking out into next year, where's your focus? I think in the medium to long term, it's Asia. We see very strong growth, or we expect to see very strong growth in the broader Asian market. As I mentioned, I think it is dependent, and the unknown is how quickly travel restrictions will ease with respect to China, because many, many of the carriers are dependent on international traffic to and from China. In the more immediate term, we're seeing a lot of demand for you know, leasing and debt solutions from the Middle East carriers, the European and US carriers. And now, as I said, we're starting to see renewed uh, demand in Southeast Asia. And we're obviously in a period of, of maybe more uncertainty than we've had in a long, long time, um, with lots of fluctuations, be they you know, the challenge around FX, interest rates, oil prices, and then the geopolitical environment. How challenging is that making your medium-term planning? I think the macroeconomic environment is challenging because, as you mentioned, you know, elevated inflation, elevated interest rates, uh, you know, the energy costs, the stronger dollar is impacting some airlines, and then obviously increased insurance costs, etc. So there's a number of challenges. But what we are seeing as travel restrictions have lifted, we've seen a considerable pent-up demand for traffic, you know, recovery of traffic in each of the markets. And if we maybe focus and hone in on interest rates, um, I think we all knew, you know, when we had this conversation last year, we would have said interest rates are going to go up, that the pace at which they've moved has probably surprised people. And the volatility of it has, you know, anecdotally you're hearing, it's kind of 
some impediment to transactions taking mm. place. Can I get your perspectives on what that rate environment is doing to your business at the moment? You're obviously playing both in the op-lease space and in the lending space. When you think about that interest rate volatility, what kind of challenges is it throwing out? Look, I think when you look at the leasing market, lease rates are a function of two things, supply and demand of aircraft, but also the interest rate environment. And there is a very strong correlation between interest rates and lease rates. But history has shown there tends to be a lag. So when there's a sharp increase in interest rates, it takes a while for the market to adjust to that. But we do see rates rising, lease rates rising, and I think they'll continue to rise as a function of the higher interest rate environment, but also a tightening market, particularly in the narrow body market. Um, again, on the debt side, we're seeing the overall cost of funds increasing for airlines with the sharp increase in base rates. And maybe focusing on the leasing side, you know, you have a very strong parent that there's other leasing groups that have that behind them. And then you've got the IG rated lessors that can tap the unsecured market. If you don't have that strong parent and you don't have that IG rating, just how challenging is that environment for you now? I think rather than distinguishing between the investment grade uh, lessors and non-investment grade, I think it really is a function of, as you mentioned, you know, how diversified are their funding sources and how much parental support that they're getting. And for those non-investment grade um, leasing companies that have strong parental support and have a very good diversified funding sources, I think they will be very competitive when you benchmark them against the investment grade uh, lessors. And for those, I guess, that, that aren't in that space, the, the areas that they might play in is you know, ABS capital markets, um, the traditional banking market, um, or then the alternative lenders. Can I get your perspectives on those three, maybe starting off on ABS? Yeah, I think when you look at the ABS market, when you look at pre-pandemic, it was predominantly being used as a distribution channel or, or a way for leasing companies to distribute or sell aircraft into the capital markets. So they were raising debt and equity. Um, and it was also a way for resi hedging residual risk as such. Um, I think what we've seen since the downturn in the sector, what we've seen is the focus has been on raising debt. So people, leasing companies have been using the capital markets to raise debt. We're seeing much lower issuances and much lower volumes. And I think that'll continue in the near term. So I think you will see it'll be a while, in my view, before you will see an active e-note uh, market again. Yeah, and maybe to pick up then on the alternative lenders, we've probably seen you know, growth in that space, a little bit private equity back, not mm -hmm. always, um, but to an extent filling that gap. Can I get your perspectives on how important those alternative lenders are to the market and do you see it being a trend line that's going to continue? I think they are because look, I think this industry is very capital intensive, so we need as much liquidity as possible. We need lots of new investors coming into the market. I think some of these alternative lenders have been active in the limited recourse market, and I think that'll continue. I think it's probably less competitive at the moment, the limited recourse or the non-recourse financing market because of the sharp uh, rise in, in funding costs. I think that, um, so, I, so I think there is a part for them to play um, and I think they also, I think, you know, if you look at the newer aircraft, the midlife aircraft and the aging market, I think particularly in the midlife and aging aircraft, I think many of those players will need new sources of capital to fund those acquisitions. And you mentioned investors there. Can I get your perspectives on um, the types of investors we've seen come at aviation finance, you know, maybe post-pandemic? So, you know, we've always had uh, strong Japanese capital. We've always had 
private equity. Have you seen any trends in the last couple of years where it's new types of capital either coming in or moving away from the space? And you know, maybe maybe the names are changing, but the categories are the same. Are you seeing any interesting trends from that perspective? I don't really. I think that the I think the existing players um, will continue to participate in the sector. There'll obviously be some people exiting the sector for they'll have different motivations why people are entering and exiting. But I think the categorization of the different type of investors hasn't changed. And, and then if you look at aviation, just generally as an asset class, um, so we've seen you know, a maturing, a huge maturing of aviation finance in the decade, decade and a half um, pre-COVID, a sector more impacted than COVID by most, a sector probably more impacted by Russia than most. Um, as the macro environment settles, do you have any fears about how aviation as an asset class will be generally viewed by the market? I think it's been viewed very positive positively because we've come through a period of significant stress and I think most of the portfolios have been very resilient. I think particularly the, the leasing companies that have global reach and have strong technical capability, marketing capability, have been able to demonstrate to investors that you can recover aircraft from defaulting lessees, um, you can redeploy them on a global basis provided you have that local reach and provided you have that technical capability. So I think what we are seeing is investors are still looking to diversify their investment portfolios. They see aviation as an asset class stacking up well versus alternative assets. So I think you'll see more investors coming into the market. And that resilience you speak of the leasing market has clearly been evident, right? You say able to absorb those shocks. And, and what you hear from lessors like yourself is there's been a deepening of relationships with airlines. And airlines have probably you know, have a greater appreciation of the flexibility that leasing can offer them, uh, particularly the support they gave uh, throughout the, the pandemic period. Um, can I get your perspectives on what that means for the future of leasing. The long-term trend has been just a, you know, a gradual uptick in the percentage of owned aircraft. We're over, the, <coughs> me, we're over that 50% threshold now. Where do you think that might go, or do you think that trend line is just one that's going to continue? I think, I think the, the trend line will continue, and I think the reason is airlines are using operating lease for a number of different reasons. They're using it as a capacity management tool. They're using it as a way to hedge residual risk. There's times in the business cycle, in times of stress, where it's an easy way for airlines to shore up liquidity by selling and leasing back their own encumbered assets. And then obviously in the, in the growth side, or the growth uh, while the industry is growing, it's a way for airlines to respond to new market opportunities because lead times for leasing companies tend to be shorter than ordering aircraft directly from the manufacturers. Um, and to address your point on resilience, I think that I think if you look at our fleet, and I think we've benefited from being 99% narrow bodies. All of, our all of our aircraft are on lease, all revenue ge generating aircraft. But I think a fleet like ourselves has benefited from the strong recovery in the domestic and regional market, which has favoured the lessors that have larger numbers of narrow body aircraft. And can I ask you, if we talked a little bit about the funding market and the, the IG importance of a parent backing you or IG rated lessor. Do you think the importance of scale is increasing? Scale scale is always important in any sector, any business. But you look at leasing now. Do you think it is a case that you know scale is even of more importance than it was a couple of years ago? I think scale is very important because I think it gives you more purchasing power with the manufacturers, probably more purchasing power with the airlines or your client base. It um, gives you more uh, leverage when looking at different funding sources as such. 
Um, I think there are downsides with scale as well. You tend to have more aging fleet. You tend to have to deal with weaker credits, um, you know, with a larger scale portfolio. But I think what it does allow you to do when you have scale is really enhance your global reach. I think it allows you to build the necessary technical capability that you need to be able to transition aircraft across geographies, but it also gives you the breadth or straight, you know, large marketing force that actually can redeploy aircraft through lease and through sale. And if you, if you kind of posit that, that maybe scale has increased uh, somewhat in importance, it, it probably indicates a, an uptick in M&A. When you look at that space, is that your expectation over the next while that we will see more consolidation in the leasing market? I think you will see an uptick in the uh, mergers and acquisition activity. And I think that as I go back to earlier on, what I said is I think that people have different motivations for entering the sector and exiting the sector. Um, I think what you won't see is when we talk about consolidation, we typically think about fewer players having a more dominant position. I'm not convinced that'll happen. I think you will still see a lot of new entrants coming into the sector. Yeah, it's kind of a trade-off, isn't it, where if you mm. say that uptick in lease percentage is going to continue, you probably need more asset mm. owners that are out there. Um, if we can shift gears a little bit, Karen, into ESG with a particular focus on the E, can I ask you, and obviously you'd have a particular perspective on this with, with the banking parent behind you, how big an impact is ESG having on your aviation business now? Well, I think if you look at ESG more broadly, I haven't seen it having a direct impact on lessors' ability to finance aircraft as such. I think it's at the early stages where lessors and financiers are completing their evaluation of the carbon intensity of their portfolios. I think they're trying to map their way to net zero. I think what we are seeing is investors building in ESG criteria into their investment analysis. And we're also seeing airlines be more selective of who they're looking to partner with by virtue of you having to disclose your ESG credentials as such. And do you think then, if you think about it as an asset manager or a lessor, is there more that can be done other than having that focus on the newest technology, lowest emission uh, aircraft? I'm just wondering, is there more the leasing community can be doing around ESG? I think so. I think we probably are uniquely positioned in that we, within Standard Charter, have an oil and gas team, we have a clean tech team, and we also have an aviation team. What we're trying to do is bring that combined skill set together to partner with people to help respect to sustainable aviation fuels, because that's going to be the key lever, in my view, to, to reduce the carbon intensity of the sector. So, and I think what it needs is a lot of joined up thinking. It needs government support. It needs people to partner together. The off-takers, the people who help to build the facilities, work with the oil companies to scale up that availability of sustainable aviation fuels. That's one. Separately, what the airlines need is help with respect to the carbon offset market, both on the voluntary and mandatory. Again, that's where we need industry participants like ourselves that have the skill set to work with the airlines to, to provide those risk management solutions for them. Um, can, can, I, can I pick on SAF again, it, uh, just to bring you back to that point for a moment, because I think clearly it's, it's the primary building block yep. over the next couple of decades, and the production challenges are very significant, and probably the 
technology challenges are significant too. Just your, your thoughts on the role that leasing groups or aviation finance can play around SAF. You know, you're very skilled and adept at funding the asset. Is there a role for leasing groups and aviation finance more broadly in, in trying to kickstart SAF in a real and meaningful way? I think for the leasing groups, I think the focus will be more on helping the airlines to transition to newer technology aircraft. I think for those of us that have a broader participation in the market, we have to do more than just help to transition to new technology. That's why I think we have to play our role in helping to build the infrastructure or to working with the oil and gas companies to provide that sustainable aviation fuel to the sector. And then maybe moving, Kieran, on to maybe the fleet focus and we think about the metal itself. You mentioned you, your leased fleet is nearly, nearly exclusively narrow body. You, from a funding perspective, are you funding any wide bodies or is, is that a narrow body focus as well? No, absolutely. On the debt side of the business, we're very active in the wide body market. Um, Can I get your perspectives then on investable metal, right? So, so if you get most people uh, in this environment, they'll say, ah, oh, narrow body, new tech, narrow body, new tech, totally understandable. But I think we might come to the OEMs in a moment, given the delays that are there, people are looking at other assets. Y your thoughts and considerations on what you would consider as the most investable metal, maybe parking narrow body new tech, and your perspectives on maybe where wide body values and usage has moved over the recent term. Look, wide bodies historically have had greater volatility in values uh, and in lease rates at different times in the cycle. There is continued demand for new technology wide bodies. And I think that's consistent with a number of investors' ESG agendas and aspirations. They're focusing more on the newer technology wide bodies. I suppose there's more activity in the secondary market for wide body aircraft. So for those, those participants that are investing wide bodies, their focus will be on the newer technology because there'll be an ability to redeploy them and, and also to sell them into the secondary market. I think that on the current generation wide bodies, it's more challenging. And I think for that is that the operator bases tend to get more to split because fragmented because of the different engine choices. I think the lead time with respect to engineering services to transition aircraft is more challenging, so it's more prolonged. And I think with the slower recovery in the medium to long um, haul traffic, I think there's less demand for the wide bodies in general and more specifically for the current generation wide bodies. And then can I ask you your thoughts on the, the current trading environment? I mean, you guys have always been very active in that space. Can I, can I get your perspectives on where that trading environment currently sits? And you know, some people would have a view that it's not massively functioning at the moment. Curious on your thoughts there. And, and just what needs to happen if it isn't functioning great at the moment? Look, I think it's, w w so there is an active secondary market it continues to play. It may be different for us, but we have a relatively young fleet with relatively strong credits. So when we're selling aircraft, we're selling them to financial investors that are buying the asset in the lease stream. So we're continuing to trade aircraft. I think the liquidity in maybe some of the middle age or the midlife or older assets is more challenging because the cost of debt has increased for, for, for the investors. And maybe moving on to the OEMs, Kieran, can I get your perspective? Has the pandemic led to a shift, and maybe focusing on the aircraft OEMs for a moment, um, has the pandemic led to a shift in the relationship between lessors and OEMs in any way? I wouldn't think significantly, but I think the OEMs will probably be more selective going forward to the partner 
to the parties that can help them to manage their skyline or their delivery um, skyline of aircraft. Uh, you know, at the moment for the OEMs, it's very challenging for them to deal with the, the disruption to the supply chain. They need certainty to know that when the aircraft are manufactured, they'll deliver on time. And actually, and that's why I think they want to partner with the leasing companies and players that have a proven ability to place aircraft, spec aircraft, and also deal with stress in the sector. And one of the challenges we've clearly seen, as you mentioned, those supply chain challenges, um, both on the aircraft side and, and on the engine side. Um, your thoughts on what happens with that in, you know, is there going to be a near-term improvement? Because it is clearly causing some disruption in the market, both on the engine and the aircraft side. Look, we don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. I think the view is that the deliveries of new aircraft into the market will be at a slower pace than we probably all projected. But that should be good for the secondary market of used aircraft because there should be increased demand for used aircraft. And a segment of the market that has probably performed you know, near, near top of the class uh, since COVID hit has been cargo. Um, is that an area you guys have played in or an area you've looked at? And just your thoughts on where that might go. It's always been a spiky sector. Um, some would argue that pandemic has led to a potential sustainable step change with the emergence of increased e-commerce. I think if you look at during the pandemic, a number of airlines tilted the composition of their networks more to, f to freight, away from passenger. Um, and there was an increased demand for freight services with lower numbers of passenger aircraft operating, particularly in the medium and long haul um, markets. I think some investors took advantage of the situation to say, let's prolong the economic lives of older assets by con speculatively converting them from passenger to freighter aircraft and then deploying them with logistic companies and a whole host of um, people who had a requirement for freight aircraft. I think what you are seeing is with the recovery of traffic, particularly in the medium and long haul, we're seeing more belly capacity on aircraft coming back into the market. So I think that will lead to softer yields and maybe lower demand for the freight. Freight is a very niche market. It's a smaller operator base. And I think you need a particular skill set, particularly if you're looking at leasing freighter aircraft. No, understood. Um, Karen, just in, in closing, we talked, you know, still opportunities in the market, still a recovery that's evolving, particularly as you mentioned around the Asian region, but lots of uncertainty, yeah. lots of challenges that are there. Um, as you look out into 23, what are your optimism levels like? I'm very optimistic, but I think that's because I think we have enhanced or increased our relevance to clients during the pandemic. Being there for them when they needed to shore up liquidity, being there for them when they needed risk management tools to help them to hedge the uncertainty in the market. And that's across rates and FX and commodities, etc. So I'm particularly optimistic that I think that those deeper relationships will benefit going into the future. But I think we can't be complacent, any of us as industry participants. There's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of headwinds, and I think you have to make sure that the team that you've built up, the capabilities can adapt to the change in the market. Well, Kieran, on that mostly optimistic note, uh, I would like to thank you as always for your insights and wish you and Standard Chartered a very successful 2023. Mm -hmm.